This is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, uh, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of interviewing Anne Gerda Erickson, who is a consultant and head of endometrial cancer and gynecologic sarcomas in the Department of Gynecologic Oncology, Division of Cancer Medicine at the Norwegian Radium Hospital in Oslo, Norway. Welcome, Anne Gerda. Thank you, Pedro. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to address a topic that is of great relevance to uh, gynecologic oncologists, and that is the issue of uh, sentinel lymph node mapping in endometrial cancer. So certainly appreciate your views on this particular area. Just a, a general thought with regards to where do you think is the current status of sentinel lymph node mapping alone in current practice of gynecologic oncology? Well, I think that there's been a lot of publications over the recent years in regards to sentinel lymph nodes and endometrial cancer, and we see as a result of the increasing number of publications that also an increasing number of institutions are adapting to this technique and finding that it's safe and that it's a technique that they can um, provide to their patients. Now, um, with regards to the sentinel lymph node mapping algorithms, um, can you tell us a little bit about, just briefly, what is the sentinel lymph node mapping algorithm? Yes, I certainly can. And I think it's really important to bring that up, that if you are implementing the technique of sentinel lymph nodes, you must follow the algorithm. Studies that are published in regards to sensitivity, specificity, and the negative predictive value all rely on applying the algorithm. So what you have to do, you enter the abdomen and have a thorough look around in the peritoneal cavity and get your washings. You then follow the tracer and identify any sentinel lymph nodes. It's really important as well to be aware of the primary sentinel lymph nodes. There might be secondary sentinel lymph nodes, and it's important to follow the lymphatic channels from the uterus as they go lateral and to the primary sentinel lymph node, and this is what you want to extract. If you do not have mapping on a side, it's really important to then do a site-specific lymphadenectomy to ensure that the negative predictive value of the algorithm holds true. And also, very importantly, bulky nodes must be removed. We know that bulky nodes might not take up the tracer, and so it's really important to remove these even if they're not blue or green, depending on what you use. And with regards to the detection of the sentinel lymph nodes, and you mentioned how important it is to detect them bilaterally, for those who are starting their experience and going through the learning curve, what should be the percentage of bilateral detection that will be ideal? Yeah, it's really important when you start to not only rely on your sentinel nodes, and I would encourage every surgeon who um, adopts this technique to really carefully follow your bilateral and unilateral mapping rate. You should also take care, and when you get your response from pathology, that there's actually lymphatic tissue in what you've extracted, and your rate of metastatic nodes compared to what you did before. And um, you might want to do a backup lymphadenectomy initially when you start until you're comfortable with this technique. Now, you should aim for at least an 80%, even higher, bilateral mapping in your patients. Now, when looking at the um, patient population uh, with regards to low risk versus the high risk uh, patients, um, is it your thought that 
the Sentinel lymph node mapping algorithm uh, applies to both low-risk patients and high-risk patients or strictly to low-risk patients and therefore still recommending a lymphadenectomy for those patients with high risk. Give us your thoughts on that. Well, when we look at the literature, again, we already back from the Sentiendo trials and then to the more recent FIRES trials, we've seen that sentinel lymph nodes is safe in the sense that it will detect metastatic nodes, both for low-risk and high-risk patients. We've also seen this in multiple retrospective reviews and single institution publications. So in regards to if we will detect our nodes, sentinel lymph node technique is absolutely sufficient. In regards to oncologic outcome, we don't have any prospective trials supporting that this is sufficient. However, we do have two randomized clinical trials. However, they might be criticized. This is the available data in regards to a therapeutic effect of lymphadenectomy or not. In both those trials, the Aztec and the Italian study by Benedetti Panici and colleagues have not proven a therapeutic effect to a lymphadenectomy. So this is very much a staging procedure. And therefore, I feel that sentinel lymph nodes will suffice both in low-risk and high-risk patients. Very well. Um, Now, the question that often has come up, uh, and certainly historically, we have had a number of different tracers. Um, In your mind, what do you think is the ideal tracer when performing sentinel lymph node mapping and, and why? Well, if you have access to ICG, endocyanin green, and NIR, near-infrared fluorescent, this should be your tracer of choice. We've seen large single institution publications on this, and then the more recently published at SGO, the film trial, which will be published shortly, where ICG was compared to blue dye. Not only did ICG provide a higher bilateral detection, but very interestingly, just less than 40% of the metastatic nodes would have been missed by blue dye alone. So it seems that ICG is not just superior in bilateral detection, but also in detecting metastatic nodes. And interestingly, we've seen in a retrospective review that this holds true also for our obese patients. And as we know, many women with endometrial cancer fall into the categories of obese and morbidly obese, And for these patients as well, ICG will map much better bilaterally than blue dye. So, yes, I agree that there is convincing evidence that the endocyanin green seems to be the ideal tracer. Um, Should should that uh, fact be discouraging to those in developing countries that may not have access to ICG? Should they still aim to use, uh, for example, blue dye in pursuing the sentinel lymph node concept? I think that if ICG is not available to you in your institution, you can certainly adopt a SLN technique to um, maximize your bilateral mapping rate. If you can add technetium to that, radiolabel colloid, that would be very good. We do see that this does improve the bilateral detection rate. And also, this is a technique. And so even if large studies and meta-analysis show that approximately 50% of patients will map bilaterally with blue dye, that doesn't mean that you as an individual surgeon, and if you practice your technique, won't be able to have a higher bilateral mapping rate. So now that brings us to the topic of the pathologic evaluation. And a couple of questions on that. And I think it's important to raise this uh, 
point to our audience with regards to not only performing the sentinel lymph node mapping algorithm, but to assure that there's adequate pathologic evaluation of those uh, sentinel lymph nodes. And I think that, you know, certainly we need to make sure in advocating for not just the sentinel lymph node identification, but also to actually have pathologists perform ultra staging on those uh, sentinel lymph nodes. Um, Any thoughts on, on that point? I fully agree with you, and I think that there is a growing awareness in the pathology community that they also need to reach a consensus in regards to how they classify lymph nodes and the metastases that are seen. Um, you know, just just for cl- clarification, a macrometastasis is tumor cells and clusters that are larger than two millimeters. Then we have micrometastases, which are between two millimeters and zero point two millimeters. And any microscopic clusters in single cells less than this are isolated tumor cells. And you do need an experienced pathologist to be able to make this um, distinction. So now, with regards to the, the uh, input from the, from the pathologist, and, and we'll go uh, into cer- certainly other questions uh, pertaining to the size of metastases. But before we go to that, um, there are some uh, areas and some centers where a sentinel lymph node is routinely sent for frozen section versus awaiting the final pathology. Um, Can you give us your thoughts as to whether one should routinely send the sentinel lymph node for frozen section evaluation? What's the accuracy uh, at that point? Um, Is that really clinically uh, useful or relevant? Uh, Just your thoughts with regards to that topic. I think in regards to frozen section, we do know that tissue is lost with this technique. And particularly since we're looking for very small volumes, that that could be a false negative when you do a frozen section of a sentinel lymph node. And coming back to that this is a staging procedure and not a therapeutic procedure, knowing whether your sentinel lymph node is positive or not perioperatively shouldn't really change your management there or then. So the importance of knowing if your sentinel lymph node is positive while you're still in the OR is of less significance. I see. Uh, so in your institution, you do not routinely send the sentinel lymph nodes that appear grossly normal for frozen section. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Now, um, going back to the subject of the uh, different types of uh, metastases or sizes of metastases, you mentioned um, isolated tumor cells. And I think that this is often a topic of discussion as to how should patients be managed when finding isolated tumor cells in the sentinel lymph nodes. Give us your thoughts as to what is your standard practice today um, when you find those isolated tumor cells in the sentinel lymph nodes? Yeah, that's a great question. And the jury's out on isolated tumor cells. We don't have much evidence. Um, In my institution, we treat patients with isolated tumor cells as node negative and wouldn't give them adjuvant therapy unless there was another reason, a uterine factors to drive that. You know, we have two large single institution series from the group at Memorial and also Marie Plant's group in Canada, where they have two different approaches. The Memorial group, they treated their patients with ITCs as node positive, and the majority of those patients did receive adjuvant therapy and subsequently did equally well as node negative patients and significantly better than 
patients who had macrometastasis in their nodes. Conversely, in the group from Canada, they treated the majority of their patients with isolated tumor cells as node negative, and they let uterine factors drive whether they should have adjuvant therapy or not. And they found the same results, that whether the patients with isolated tumor cells received adjuvant therapy or not, they did equally well to node negative patients. So at the uh, Norwegian Radium Hospital, uh, what do you do today when you find a patient with isolated tumor cells in the sentinel lymph nodes? We treat them as node negative. Very well. Now, um, another question that will come up from time to time is, what about the patients with very high-risk histology? So, for example, a patient with a uterine papillary serous carcinoma or a carcinosarcoma should we really just rely on sentinel lymph node algorithm alone, or should we routinely perform a pelvic and periodic lymphadenectomy in those patients? Well, again, if you think of this as a staging procedure, a sentinel lymph node should suffice. Any bulky nodes, either preoperatively on a CT scan, a PET CT, if your institution performs that, or any bulky nodes during surgery should certainly be removed. Other than that, I think that with the available evidence, a sentinel lymph node is sufficient. We have a few retrospective series with relative short follow-up, two, two to three years, but still do not show an increase in recurrence in patients who have had sentinel lymph nodes compared to lymphadenectomy in these high-risk histologies. And I think we need to follow up further, but with the evidence available, I think sentinel node is sufficient. However, each surgeon really should do what they're comfortable with. Well, and one last question. Um, you know, certainly it seems from, from the literature and from our discussion that sentinel lymph node mapping alone is becoming uh, what you would call the standard of care in most uh, academic centers. Uh, with that, obviously an increasing concern with regards to the training in performing uh, pelvic and periodic lymphadenectomy. Uh, what do you think is going to be the impact of sentinel lymph node algorithm as a standard of care on the ability of future surgeons to learn how to actually perform a pelvic and a periodic lymphadenectomy? Well, I think that that's not really necessarily the relevant question. We cannot let the training aspect stop the development of medicine. We don't do open hysterectomies anymore instead of minimal invasive surgery for hysterectomies just because we want people to know how to do an open hysterectomy, particularly as long as we have ovarian cancer patients who do need laparotomies and other patients as well who will require this kind of technique. Our trainees will be able to perform these procedures even if we adopt a sentinel lymph node approach for endometrial cancer. Well, great. And Gerda, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, are there any closing remarks? By embracing a SLN approach in endometrial cancer, we're really implementing a surgical technique that allows us to accurately stage our patients and at the same time limiting some of the morbidity that's associated with lymphadenectomy, and maybe even more importantly, we're really moving our surgical approach towards quote-unquote precision medicine, and um, that we're really increasing our surgical precision by removing these SLNs, which we know are three times as likely to harbor metastases as any non-SLN. Now, for the questions that remain unanswered in regards to the SLN approach, 
such as how to manage patients with micrometastases, I really believe that it's very important that we all work together via multi-institutional collaborations to try to answer these questions. Well, thank you very much. This has been incredibly informative, and certainly we thank you at the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer and for all your contributions to women with gynecological cancers. Thank you. Thank you very much.